Jerry Fox, and I am again hosting The Verdict is In. This is a podcast that's intended to teach the listening audience about how to use lawyers cost effectively and to teach them in a simpler way how different aspects of the law operate so that you don't do it in a vacuum and you know exactly what's going on. My guest today, and I'm very excited, is Isaiah Vallejo Justi. He is a matrimonial attorney with his own practice at Rosenfeld and Vallejo and Justi, LLP. He has practiced in the area of matrimonial law for almost 15 years. In his career, he has represented a broad variety of people from all walks of life. In matrimonial matters, Isaiah utilizes a client-centered approach in achieving their goals, utilizing the tools of litigation, ADR, which is a form of mediation, or negotiation. His philosophy is that, where possible, matrimonial matters should be completed in a manner in which both parties are not destroyed by the process. In this manner, he often comes into cases to calm tensions while representing his clients zealously in their matters and achieving the best outcomes possible. Isaiah is a member of the Family Law Committee of the New York State Bar Association, the Matrimonial Law Committee of the New York County Lawyers Association, and a member of the New York City Women's Bar Association. Isaiah is also a professor at Marist College, where he teaches in the college MPA program. All right, Isaiah, welcome. Thanks, Jerry. Thanks for having me. Now, we're having Isaiah on this program uh, because he, too, shares my absolute commitment to putting the client first. While lawyers do charge fees, those fees should be a secondary aspect of the representation. The client is what comes first, and in Isaiah's practice, we'll find that out. We're going to talk to you about how a family law matter opens up and unfolds, what to expect, and Isaiah's philosophy, and then we're going to make sure that Isaiah gives you his contact information so you can call him, and like me, he'll give you a free consultation. Uh, So you'll get to decide whether your matter is something you want to pursue. And divorce is a very difficult topic. Isaiah, first of all, let me know how you got into doing family law matters. What inspired you to be a family law lawyer? That's a good question, uh, Jerry. Basically, I've been in family law. I graduated law school in 06, but believe it or not, I've worked in family law firms since 1999. So I was around it for a good seven years before even before practicing law. I always enjoyed the work because you actually get to help people in some pretty tough circumstances, right? You also are a different type of attorney every day, right? One day you could be a criminal attorney because you're dealing with orders of protection. The next day you're dealing with some assets that are complicated. And and then on certain days, you're a hardcore litigator, right? And you're going to court and you're making emotions. It's a very interesting practice in that way. Yes. Well, I'll tell you, I am a trial lawyer, as the audience knows, one of the top trial lawyers in the country. And when I uh, am in the L.A. Superior Court, there's an entire floor devoted to these matters on the second floor. And I walk down that floor and I see a lot of heartache. I see people yelling at each other in the hallway. I see lawyers trying to calm them. It's unlike any other floor in the L.A. Superior Court. And in fact, sadly, one day I came down the escalator and I heard a gunshot and an ex-husband had shot his ex-wife by the elevator. So what is it about divorce cases that make them so 
volatile and, and where you look down a hallway and you see that kind of emotion? Also a great question. It's what you're dealing with, right? You're dealing with people. My old law school professor who taught matrimonial law used to say, in matrimonial law, you deal with the very best of people in the very worst of circumstances, right? So you'll have the most professional and successful people in the world, but they're so stressed out because of what they're dealing with, then these are the type of situations that occur. So Westchester County Supreme Court, for example, has a similar thing. It has the same one floor layout, and you often see that in the courts where you see the attorneys dealing with each other and the clients kind of yelling at each other. And all that is due just because of the hyped up emotional environment that naturally exists in any divorce. These two people loved each other enough to get married, a lot of the times have children, and now it didn't work out. And there's disappointment, not only uh, because they're going through the process, but on a personal level that they weren't able to make this successful as well. So all of that kind of interplays. And then there's also the money issues and the issues regarding the children, who's going to get what, and who's going to have access to the children when, and how, and what are things going to cost, and how are people going to survive, literally, right? And so where you had one house, you now have two, and both need to be supported. So how do you do that? And all of that stress combines to create those situations. Yes. Now, we have a listening audience that's probably filled with people who are contemplating divorce. So let's talk about the process in a simple step-by-step manner generally. How does one start a divorce? A couple of ways, right? So generally speaking, if you want to start a divorce in court, you would just you would file what's known as a summons with notice or summons with complaint. And it's that simple. And now in the age of COVID and all that, that can be done completely online. So I've done that several times. It's a it's a very, very simple process. Before you just have to go down to the courthouse to do that, you no longer have to do that. Let me ask you, if I'm in New York or in any state really, but in New York, where would I go online to find that form? You should Google it. You should Google. It's newyorkcourts.gov or the nycourts.gov is the general website. But you would Google New York Courts e-filing system. I believe there is a way for pro se litigants to do it. But generally speaking, attorneys are the ones who have access to those accounts. Okay. So now you file the summons and complaint. And what happens next in, let's just start with the typical run-of-the-mill divorce where the people have some assets, a 401k. They may have one or two, three children and they have a house that they may be renting or they might have to sell as a result of the divorce. But we're not talking about the uber-rich divorce. We'll, we'll talk about that for a few minutes later. What's the next step? So the next step after that is that you would have the person served with the summons and complaint or the summons with notice. And that's very much what you would see in the movies where a process server goes over to the person and say, here's a complaint or a summons for divorce, and you've been served. Um, you can do that, or you can have your counsel write your spouse, right? which is an alternative to all this, is to say, hey, we've been retained by your husband and wife to represent him or her in a, in a divorce action, and we want to know um, if you're going to retain counsel, and if you're going to retain counsel, please put us in touch with that person. That's a softer way to do it than to surprise somebody with being served with a summons for divorce. Does the client sometimes go to their joint house and serve the complaint and petition for divorce on their ex-spouse themselves sometimes? No. In New York, that's not allowed. You have to have somebody else do it. So that's to avoid any of the immediate anger or physical type of fight that could take place or whatever might happen if you did that, right? Right. Right. 
Okay. So that's an important note for all you in the listening audience. You can't serve the summons and complaint on your spouse yourself. You should either have it sent uh, by a lawyer to your spouse, or, or you're going to have the process hire what's called a process server file. Okay, so now everyone is on notice that this divorce is ongoing. Does the other side file a counterclaim or something that says their side of the story when they're served? Yes, that is what happens. But generally speaking, these types of documents are less important in the matrimonial area as they are in other litigation areas, right? So you have a complaint, but the likelihood is that both people want to get divorced. And the likelihood is that the complaint spells out a cause of action for irretrievable breakdown in the marriage, which is what New York calls uh, no-fault divorce. Okay. So that being the case, the complaints and the answers going back and forth are, are less important. But yeah, the next step would be for an answer to be filed. And sometimes there's a counterclaim. Because we're not, we have no-fault divorce, there used to be a thing called grounds, and they still exist in the law. It's just not as heavily litigated as it used to be. Yeah, so in the old days, you might have to actually prove that you're entitled to get divorced, and there'd be all kinds of issues over that. But now, in most states, uh, it's called no-fault divorce, which means if you want to get divorced, you can get divorced, right? Exactly. I think New York was one of the last states in the union to, to adopt that. So for those in the listening audience that are worried, oh my God, I was cheating on my spouse, and that might be held against me, I may not be able to be divorced, or I'm dealing with a drug problem, I'm in rehab. None of that is held against you, right, Isaiah? Right. The answer to that is a little more complex, but generally speaking, yes. It depends on if you're on drugs and you use monies to fund the drug habit, then there's a thing called dissipation of assets that could be held against you. But generally speaking, the court is not there to pass judgment on, on why the divorce is going on. The court is more there as a court of equity to decide how we're going to move forward. Okay, so now if I'm a client and I walk into your office, let's say I have two kids and they're in private school right now, and you know, say that I make 125000 my husband makes 250000 or my wife makes 250000 Now we take one vacation a year and we own a house in New Jersey, but we both work in New York. I'm divorcing her because I found she was cheating on me during my long hours, so I'm really angry. And I come in and I feel that sometimes she's a little too social and drinks a little too much, but it's not a drinking problem. And I want the kids and I want to keep my money. And, you know, what are you going to say to me when I walk in the door? Okay. First, since you're, you live in New Jersey, the case is governed by New Jersey. But what I would tell you is given those levels of income, well, first of all, New Jersey is very generous in granting both parties joint custody. New York is the same way. They definitely encourage that, right? They discourage custody fights. But, I mean, when there needs to be a custody fight, there needs to be a custody fight. So when it comes to your children, it's very different than when it comes to something financial. So if you're, if there's going to be an argument over whether something is marital or separate property and there's going to be – there will be a cost to that argument. And the question is whether the cost will outweigh the benefit, right? You don't want to spend $50,000 fighting about something that's worth less than that, Right. When it comes to your children, it's a very different dynamic because I can't tell you, you know, there's no cost to that. So what you have, what people have to weigh is the damage to the children because studies do show that acrimonious divorces can damage, emotionally damage children. So what needs to be weighed there, really, in my opinion, is the possible hurt that will occur to the children in fighting for custody versus 
the possible hurt that will occur to the children and allowing that other parent to fully participate in decision-making and custodial abilities. So let me stop you right there, because our listening audience, many of them may have children that they love very much. And they have a lot of anger because they feel they've been betrayed by their other spouse in some way. Or maybe they're just both can't get along, but they have these children. And of course, there are no divorces without children. They're less complex. But when the court ultimately has to decide an issue of custody, uh, they usually, correct me if I'm wrong, assign counselors to meet with the children, correct? That's correct. Yeah, and so the child then has to be interviewed and asked very sensitive questions by the counselor, correct? That's correct. And then they may put the child on the stand before the judge, judge alone, and the judge may ask the kids some questions depending on their age. How does that work? Okay, so in New York, a couple of things will occur. First, there'll be an attorney for the child or children appointed. If the children have differing views, sometimes there could be an attorney appointed for each child. And then in addition to that, if it's really going to be a contested custody litigation, there'll be uh, forensics appointed. So you'll have a psychologist or a psychiatrist appointed to evaluate the parties. All of this needs to be obviously paid for and is divided in some way the cost of that between the parents, depending upon their individual financial circumstances. As to whether children are going to be on the stand, generally in New York, anything like that would occur in camera, meaning with, with just the judge alone. But the attorney for the children represent them and are very, very good at stating what the children want, particularly if the kids are older and able to say what, what it is that they desire. So the attorneys meet with the children alone. They meet with the children outside of the purview of the parents. And the, generally speaking, the parents are not obviously allowed to know what was discussed between the attorney and the children. And if that happens and the attorney for the children find out, that will be reported to the court and that is not looked upon favorably. So, so let me ask you a question and see if you agree with this. I mean, in many of these cases where husband and wife fight over custody of the children, they're dissipating the savings for the children's college or private school or whatever. And while they're busy in a blinded way spending that money, they're really handing over to people outside the family, strangers to them, the judge, a court psychiatrist, a lawyer, who will absolutely stand between them and the kids to make decisions for them. Wouldn't you agree that it's much better for the husband and wife now about to be divorced, no matter how angry with each other, to calm down, bring in a family member who might have a better presence and work out a fair arrangement and listen, listen to their children instead of what they want and work something out as opposed to handing it over to the court system? Yes. So generally speaking, what I always tell clients is when you examine settlement versus going to trial, when you settle the case, whether it feels like it or not, you have ultimate control as to what the case settles for because you're going to agree to it or you're not. When it comes to going to trial, you no longer have that ability to have that, that level of control. Now the court has that type of control and, they're going, and the court's going to dictate what should happen. Right? So you're taking a very big gamble. That's what I would usually uh, tell people, what you can, as far as bringing a family member in, I would recommend, I have therapists that I recommend in this area. And also you can do this through counsel. You can do that through mediation. It's always good to work, have an attorney on your side so that you understand not only what the law says, which you can Google, 
but how that law is interpreted in the county in which you sit, in the courthouse in which you sit, and also before the judge in which you sit. Because judges, you know, we have the uniform court system in New York, but different counties do different things in different ways. Different appellate divisions rule in different ways. And also different judges have different preferences. So it's important that the attorney that represents you knows all of that and is able to guide you in your very specific situation as to how to proceed. But these are matters that are sensitive and these are matters that usually, believe it or not, people are able to come together for, for the most part. Yeah. Now, Isaiah, I, I do entertainment litigation, as you know, among other things, and I've referred cases to family law lawyers and, and, and I've been asked to walk in and I've seen it when children are on the stands. First of all, it doesn't even matter if they're 15 or 16 or 14 and 12. Uh, they're crying. They're nervous. They're fidgety. They, they hate the idea that they have to choose between one parent and the other. And often it's, you know, they, in their mind, it's a choice when it's not. You know, certainly I have heard secondhand from my own clients, even though I wasn't the divorce lawyer, that years after the fact, their kids are in therapy because of what they did to them. So let's close this section on custody with the acknowledgement that Isaiah, and the reason I really think he's fantastic is that he looks at the children, the entire family dynamic, and while he can be very aggressive and very tough if you need him to be, he counsels the client to take a deep breath and think of those kids. One thing that I always tell my clients, some of whom are in very tough situations, is you have to remember that one day, God willing, your, your child is going to get married, if that's what they desire, and going to have children. And so you're going to have grandchildren. And at the first, second, third, fourth, for all those birthday parties of the grandchildren, both grandparents are going to want to be there. So even 30, 40 years from now, you're still going to have some type of, you're still going to have to see the other spouse. And you need to keep that in mind when you're going through your divorce. Yes. And in fact, if you, if you alienate your children against your former spouse, say the courts uh, will frown on that, but they tell you not to. And if you do that, you're really, you're really destroying family events for years to come, right? Not only that, but you might lose custody because in New York, one of the main things that people look at, that the judge looks at in determining who gets custody is which parent will engender a better relationship between the children and the other parent. And I've seen people lose custody based upon that factor many times. And there are many reported decisions on it, right? And it doesn't matter the age of the, of the kids either. I've seen it where, you know, people think that the court system is skewed towards mothers, but I've seen mothers of young children lose custody because of that, based upon that factor. Now, let's talk about, we have about four and a half minutes left. I want to talk about the big word, disomaster. What is the disomaster and how does it work? That's important that we get that out before we wrap things up. You know, I should note that Isaiah does very large cases where people have to battle, use forensic accountants and, you know, really go over where the assets are and find them and get a fair distribution of assets. You know, people should know that. And if you're out there and you're very wealthy and you want a hard person who's going to fight hard for you, but also talk to you and be honest with you about your odds, that, that's Isaiah, and you should call him. But before we get to Isaiah's contact information, the general public should know about the disomaster. Sure. In New York, we don't have this concept. I, I think what you're saying is with respect to financial discovery. Yes. In California, I know that they basically the way I've heard it explained to me by some divorce lawyers is there is a an app or a software where you just plug in the number of the amount of money that you make, the 401k, various things that are very simple to plug into a formula, 
and then they figure out how much time you're going to have the children and how long you've been married for alimony versus child support. And, you know, you can, with a paralegal almost, figure out what you're going to pay. Sure. Yeah. So there are formulas for maintenance, which is what New York calls alimony and child support. And those formulas are can be found on the court's website. And they have calculators where you can enter in the information and it'll it'll give you what the general parameters are for maintenance and for child support based upon those numbers. There's some give if you earn over what the statutory caps are, then it could be different, right? Then you really need an attorney to kind of figure that out. What is the rule on when alimony has to be paid and for how long? Does the length of the marriage play into that? Yes, so zero to, I wanna say zero to 15 years is 15 to 30% of the length of the marriage. And then longer than that, the length changes. So the longer the marriage, the longer the term of maintenance. If a person remarries, does the alimony stop? Generally speaking, yes, unless you agree to otherwise. Unless the people agree to otherwise. Okay, and what if one spouse moves in with somebody and they're common law partners, but they haven't actually legally married? Usually the terms of the agreement will govern, and most agreements will have in there a cohabitation clause that will generally speaking address that and how that's addressed and how long the people have to be cohabitate for. So yes. Now, child support, if I take it, goes through the time that the child turns 18, not their high school graduation in most states, but actually the age they turn 18, which if they turned 18 two months after high school's over, the support would run to that point. Is that correct? In most states. In New York, it's 21. 22 if the agreements will usually provide for 22 if the kids are still in college. Okay, so that varies from state to state. I know in California it's 18, but in New York it's 21. It is 21, yes. And, of course, you can have provisions for paying for college tuition, etc. Now, uh, Isaiah, how can people get in touch with you? I will tell you that I meet many, many divorce lawyers in this country, and I have never found anybody who can both be a fierce litigant in the courtroom, but yet take care of your money, not just steal it from you by overbilling, or ruin your whole marriage and your fortune because they're just, you know, firing you up and getting you angry and filing one motion after another, and then you have a bill for $250,000 and you're spending the next 10 years of your life paying for it, and you've lost custody of your kids because you were overly aggressive. This is the man to go see if you want to come out on top in every way in a holistic way, in a way where your kids will thank you later and you will have for yourself enough money to move on because moving on is important after a divorce. All right, Isaiah, how can they get in touch with you? Sure. Uh, thanks, Jerry. Um, so you can get in touch with me at my firm's numbers, 212-953-1600. I'm extension three. You can shoot me an email, Isaiah, I-S-A-I-A-H, at R, like Robert, V, like Victor, J, like James, law, Com, or you can look us up on our website, rvjlaw.com. And listening audience, this is Jerry Fox, and I am committed to you, you the client. And I will also tell you that our firm is launching a website after September 5th or 6th after Labor Day where we're going to have a brick wall on our website called the referral wall. And we're going to have written in chalk style, but very legible, all the people that you would need to go see if it's a litigation matter or a corporate matter or a tax matter or a trust and estates matter that we don't handle. We handle litigation, lawsuits, lawsuits that have to do with commercial matters. But if you need to get in touch with Isaiah and you didn't get his contact information, 
you can email me at chiefox at gerardfoxlaw.com. G-F-O-X at G-E-R-A-R-D-F-O-X-L-A-W.com. And with this, know you can follow up and ask questions because Isaiah and I both will consult without charge. Have a great day and know that the law is there to work for you. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.